you guys here with us today. Hopefully you guys are staying cool and your air conditioning is working because it has been brutal the last couple of days. And so we know you could be a million other places today on a nice day like this. And so we're glad you guys are here with us. Like we said, if you're new, uh, stop by the Welcome Center. We have a gift for you just being here for your first time. It's also a good week because we are in a new series and we are starting it in a four-week series with a lot of echo in my voice right now. And uh, so we're starting a four-week series, and so we're so glad you're here. And It's a great time uh, to come and check us out. And so the premise of this series, I want to start with this idea. Have you ever been invited to something, and you know that if you go, you're going to enjoy it? But your first response is, I don't want to do that. You guys ever have that? Like somebody calls you and you're just like, Ugh. one of my favorite comedians, his name is Nate Bergazzi. Uh, if you don't listen to Nate Bergazzi, you should. Uh, he is hilarious. And uh, he has this joke where he says, like, when you're in your 20s and somebody calls you, like if, if you're like me, um, somebody calls you in your 20s, you're just like, yeah. They don't even have to tell you what it is. It could be the worst thing ever. And you're just like, because you just want something to do. So you're like, yeah, I'll go. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it, but I'm there, right? And so you do it. And then you get a little bit older. And you get in your 30s and somebody calls you and, you know, you got a couple questions for them. Like, um, how loud is it going to be, right? Is it going to be real loud? Uh, like, how long are we going to stay, you know? And they'll tell you and you'll be like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go, but I'm just going to drive myself. You know, that way, like, if you have to leave, you can. And then you get in your 40s, past your 40s, and somebody calls you and you're like, I'm not going, right? Like, I'm just, no, not going to happen. And so uh, sometimes, though, you talk yourself into going um, and you end up having a decent time. So a couple years ago, uh, there's a guy here that's got some connections with some tickets to concerts. I'm not going to say his name because then you'll all be hitting him up. Uh, but he, he texted me and he said, I got, I got tickets to this concert. And he says, I'm not going to tell you who it is. Um, do you want them? And I'm like, well, that's a tricky question, isn't it? And so he's like, do you want them? And I'm like, sure, I'll take them. And so he puts this envelope on my desk and I go and I open the envelope to this tickets and it's for uh, Celine Dion. Um, now, I don't know if you can tell by just looking at me, I don't listen to a lot of Celine Dion, okay? Uh, the only song, to be honest, I was familiar with was the song from the Titanic movie. Um, and I only know that because when I was dating a girl, she loved that, and we would watch that movie. And I'd be like, they're all going to die. It's just the way it goes. And so, uh, so we got to the concert, and I wasn't super excited to be there at first. And we are legit, like, I, d I never know, like, where tickets are going to be. We are from me to the back wall from Celine Dion, right? And so it's like these amazing seats ended up being like, she's just super talented. Like, I, I didn't know any of the songs, but just hearing her voice, I mean, she was amazing. Ended up being one of the best concerts I've ever been to. And it was one of these reminders that sometimes we get invited to stuff and we have our hesitations and our reservations. But at the end of the day, if we go and we actually accept the invitation, we realize it wasn't so bad, or maybe like that ends up being a great experience. You never know what hangs in the balance of saying yes sometimes to an invitation. So Jesus, he's early on in his ministry. Um, in fact, it's just starting. And uh, there's a guy that comes before Jesus named John the Baptist. This is actually his cousin. He's kind of considered the forerunner of Jesus. So he goes around, and he's kind of become this prophet himself, and people are starting to kind of follow him. And he's kind of this crazy guy. Like, this is the guy that, like, I would love to follow. Like, his reputation is he lives out in the woods and eats locusts and honey, and he wears, like, fur and stuff like that. Like, he's kind of this interesting character in the Bible, but he's got these followers 
followers. And so in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, people are following John the Baptist, but John the Baptist is kind of preparing the way for Jesus. And so this story kind of picks up where um, Jesus is just popping on the scene. John the Baptist has kind of been on the scene. And it says this in John 135. The following day, John the Baptist was again standing with two of his disciples. So again, he's got some people that are kind of following him. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. Now, what's interesting about John 1, if you've ever read it, is in John 1, uh, John always tries to paint a picture with kind of his words. And, and in fact, in John 1, one of the things that's neat is, is we see these descriptions of Jesus. In fact, he uses eight different descriptions of Jesus in this one chapter. And so he opens by saying that Jesus is the word that's kind of been there since the beginning. He refers to Jesus as the light of the world. He refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God, the Eternal One, the Son of God. He refers to him as a rabbi and also as a Messiah. And these are just a fraction of the words that we see described about Jesus. And one of the cool things about Jesus is these words that are used about him. Essentially what happens is some people are going through some stuff, and this carries back into the Old Testament when it comes to describing God. And so people are going through stuff, and then God provides or God steps into the situation. And so they kind of give God these names to kind of remind them of, of the ways that God has helped them. And so, for example, for me, um, early on in my faith, so around 21 years old, uh, I grew up in the church, as many people did, but didn't actually become a follower of Jesus to about 21 years old. And uh, so I remember my life was a mess. I, I was looking for all kinds of answers and searching all kinds of different directions. And at 21, I finally decided to kind of give this Jesus thing a real shot. And uh, even though I'd grown up in church, knew a lot of stuff, this was like the moment where I really chose to start following. And uh, I remember our preacher at the time was preaching one week, and I don't remember everything that he said. Uh, I don't expect that you guys remember everything that I said, but I do remember this illustration where the sermon was all about that Jesus is like this good shepherd. And the illustrations was that, you know, just like sheep, we've all kind of gone astray. And here comes the shepherd um, kind of into our lives to kind of help guide us and lead us. And I remember that picture kind of stuck out to me because I was thinking like I'd lost my path in life and, and was kind of confused. And so all of a sudden this role of Jesus being the good shepherd made perfect sense. And, and so I needed someone to guide me. And, and so um, it's interesting that sometimes our life circumstances and life can shape who Jesus is for us. For example, um, if you're a person right now that's filled with all kinds of conflict in your life, and then you get this message that Jesus can be the Prince of Peace, that sounds really appealing, that someone would lead you in peace. Or, or if you're ill right now or afflicted in different ways, and then someone refers to Jesus as the Great Physician, then that's really appealing. Or for like this example, uh, the, these people start to see Jesus as like this rabbi, this teacher. And so if, if you're wanting to acquire knowledge, then maybe you see Jesus as this great teacher or this leader. Or maybe if you're a lonely person, then maybe the idea of Jesus being your friend. And so there's all these descriptions. But this Lamb of God for these two men that are kind of standing there, and, and we'll see this kind of played out through the rest of John, this Lamb of God kind of taps into the sacrificial kind of understanding of Jesus. And, and, and whatever happened in their lives or whatever, this, this title that John gives Jesus is very appealing to him. And so in verse 37, um, we see this. It says, then John's two disciples heard this and they followed Jesus. And so whatever it was about this Lamb of God idea, this appeals to them, and especially since John's vouching for Jesus. And so they start to follow Jesus. And Jesus looked around and saw them following him. And he asked the question that Chad talked about a couple weeks ago. He asked them this simple question, what do you 
want? Uh, like, if you're going to follow me, like, what do you want? Other translations say it this way. It says, what are you looking for? And so I love this idea of, of these questions because Jesus is pretty blunt and to the point, but the reality is these are brilliant questions for life, first of all. Like when it comes to life, because you get one, you get one shot at it, what do you actually want from life? And what are you actually looking for? And the reality is a lot of us know this is, is a lot of times you'll find what you're looking for, whether it's helpful or hurtful, but you'll, you'll find that if you kind of start this quest and this path to kind of look for it, and so what are you actually looking for in life? But I think when it comes to Jesus, it's this even more interesting kind of question. When it comes to following Jesus, and this is the question we all have to answer, what do you actually want? What are you looking for? What are you looking for when you come here every Sunday? What are you looking for when you listen to messages throughout the week or read your Bible or you read a devotional or what are you looking for? And I think for a lot of us, we come Sunday after Sunday participating in worship and fellowship and doing our part to, to kind of be the church. And, and I'll be honest, I think a lot of us, and this is not a bad reason to start, I think a lot of the, is, the reason we come to church is because this is where we live, right? Like we just kind of live in a culture where Christianity is kind of embedded in the culture of where we live, and it's just kind of what you do. And so as a good person, you just kind of go to church. But, but Jesus, I think, asked the question for all of us is, what are you actually looking for in all this? And so th these guys, they, they kind of look at Jesus, and they reply, and they says this. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. I think the verse should come up. Rabbi, they said, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Well, it would come up, but where are you staying? And, and so what's interesting is this, is they want to go and follow Jesus wherever he goes. These two guys are looking for something deeper, and, and it taps into this understanding of the ancient world that maybe you're not familiar with. So the first thing is this word disciple. So this word disciple, um, we hear it in church, but we don't really understand what it means. Um, but the word disciple is, is deeply connected to this idea of someone being a rabbi and a follower. And, and so these guys in, in their culture, um, when you want to be a disciple of somebody, you don't just want to like know them. Like, you don't just want to, like, kind of know what they know. You don't just want to come in and hear a lecture every once in a while or whatever. The idea of being a disciple is that, that you don't just want to know what the person knows. You want to be like them. Like, you want to go where they go. You want to see what they see. You want to eat what they eat. You want to experience what they experience. Now, in the rabbinical world, and a little backstory, um, it's all about the idea of how they interpret the Torah. So the Torah is the law, which would be the Old Testament, specifically the first five books, uh, also referred to as the Pentateuch. And, and so um, these, these ideas would be a rabbi would kind of look at these different verses, and they would interpret them differently. Now, we're unfamiliar with this uh, because we are Western educated, um, and the world that we've grown up is that we want everything black and white. Right? Like, we want, just tell me what I'm supposed to believe, tell me what I'm supposed to do, tell me what I'm supposed to think. That's what we want. But, but in the Jewish world, especially in the rabbinical world, it was all about interpretation. And so one rabbi might look at a verse and interpret it this way, and then another rabbi would come along and interpret it a different way. And they were completely used to this and comfortable with this. And, and so one rabbi would kind of interpret a verse and say, well, this is how it relates to God, and this is how it relates to us. And then somebody might come along and say something completely different. Now, what they refer to this to is the rabbi's yoke. 
And the yoke was their understanding of how we relate to God and God relates to us. And so they view Jesus kind of in this moment, and we see this throughout the rest of the New Testament, kind of as this rabbinical kind of figure, this rabbi-type figure. And so these disciples, what they're really wanting to do is they're wanting to understand how Jesus understands God and how, how God relates to us. And we see later this kind of interesting idea that Jesus tells us what his yoke is. And, and I love this. In, in Matthew chapter 11, it says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And so Jesus is kind of understanding his interpretation of a lot of things is this idea that God is this place that we come to not only for support and to shepherd, but also a place where we come if we're downhearted and downtrodden and weary and we'll find rest in him. And so you would kind of go to this rabbi and you try to learn what this rabbi understood and did. But one of the things that's interesting about this world that, that we don't understand is before you even got to the point you could ask a rabbi to follow him or a teacher to follow him, you would go through an education system. Now, the education system in the Jewish world, it took education very seriously. Um, and so from the ages of 5 to 10, you'd be in this system called Bet Safar. Now, Bet Safar um, is a time where during the synagogue, uh, the rabbis would teach you the Torah, teach you the law, and the goal was to memorize it, okay? So for you guys, just a little context, um, if you have a physical Bible, which most of us don't, um, and because most of us, we, if we have one, it's on our phone now, right? You know, or you're playing Tetris, you say you're looking at the Bible, but um, so, you know, so if you take the Bible and you just look at the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all right? It's almost a third of the pages. And they would memorize this. That was the goal. Five to ten years old that you would memorize this thing. And then eventually, if you could do that from ages 10 to 14, you'd be through Bet Talmud. Now, Bet Talmud is when you would continue to learn the rest of the Old Testament, but also start to ask questions and try to learn from the rabbi their interpretations. And so if you made it all the way through this, around 14 years old, uh, you would find a, find a rabbi and you would kind of go through this other series of teaching and the rabbi would start to teach you their yoke. And, and the way they would teach you is they would ask you questions and try to gauge your responses to their understandings themselves, but also your understanding of the text. And what they're trying to find out is, can this kid do it? Can this 14, 15-year-old kid, can they actually do what it is that I do? Can they actually take my yoke upon them? And so sometimes the rabbi would get to this point and he'd look at a kid and he'd ask them some questions and, you know, they'd answer the questions. And if it was good enough, then the rabbi might eventually offer an invitation for them to come and follow. But if this student wasn't the best of the best, wasn't the sharpest, wasn't the brightest, didn't have the best answers, you might look at them and say, hey, you know, you're a great kid and all, but maybe you should go and learn your family trade. Maybe what you should do is you should actually go, and if your dad was a carpenter, you were a carpenter. If your dad was a fisherman, you were a fisherman, and you just go and learn your family trade. That's what it means to be a disciple. And so a rabbi would come to town, and he'd pick this group of disciples, and these disciples, again, they're trying to do everything that the rabbi does. And there was even this old saying that, that whenever you would follow a rabbi, you would follow them so closely that as they would walk through these towns and as they would walk in the dust 
would kick up from their sandals, there was this idea that the, the blessing in life is that you would be covered by the dust of your rabbi. That you're so close that wherever they just walked, the dust would come and fill you. Now, the reason I tell you all that is because of what happens next. See, it's important to know that in their world, only the best of the best of the best got to follow the rabbi. But for our story, these disciples, these guys, they're following John the Baptist, who by most people's standard was a crazy person that lived out in the woods. We also see the invitation of other disciples and their fishermen and tax collectors and zealots which means that they weren't the best of the best of the best. More than likely, at some point, somebody had looked at them and said, you're a great kid and all, but maybe you should just go learn your family's trade. And so what's interesting is these two guys, they look at Jesus and they say, well, where are you going? Can we follow you? And it's this interesting idea that Jesus looks at them and maybe in their mind they're saying, can even we follow you? Like even us. Like the messed up and the broken and the ones that weren't the good enoughs. Can we follow you too? And this is the amazing part of the story of Jesus, not only for them, but also for us. Is Jesus says, yes, even you can follow me. And so he says, and he replies in verse 39, you want to know where I'm going? You want to see what I see, do what I do? He simply says, well, then just come and see. Just come and see. Now, I love this, this language, and this is the language we're going to use for the next four weeks, is because, see, this is what we should tell people, and this is the invitation to us, is that if you want to come and see what Jesus is like, just come and see. Just come and check it out. And if you know people that are interested, you just could say, hey, just, just come and see. Just come and, and check this out. And, and the reason I love this, um, and by the way, that whole 15 minutes was just set up for the next four weeks, okay, um, is this, is that this, this message, and we want to get real practical the rest of the day to kind of set up. Uh, where we're going is simply this. Um, every, everything we talk about and everything we do, um, see, for a lot of people, their understanding of following Jesus is that as long as they got everything figured out, and as long as they have all their questions answered, and as long as, as they have their life together, then they can come and follow Jesus. But Jesus' invitation is, well, just come and see. Just come and see if this is what you're looking for. What do you want? What are you looking for? And if maybe, hopefully, and we believe that Jesus is what you're looking for, then just come and see. The other thing I want to say to, to everybody that, that's here is we actually do believe that you can belong here before you believe everything, right? Like we, we don't think that you have to have it all figured out. And then you can come and be a part of a church or be a part of a movement or be a part of the way of Jesus, which is what it was referred to before we called it Christianity in the church. It was just simply referred to as the way of Jesus. We actually believe that you can come and belong before you ever believe everything. And if you don't agree with me on that one, because some people kind of push back, I want to introduce you to a verse called John 2.22. Just look it up later. It's kind of this interesting verse. And what it says in John 2.22 is that after the resurrection of Jesus... Then all of the disciples have this light bulb moment where they all of a sudden, now they believed everything that he said. Well, isn't that convenient that after you saw a resurrected Jesus, you're like, he might have been onto something, right? <laughs> Which means for the three years that they were following him and getting covered in his dust, they weren't even sure. 
And so it's okay if you've got questions and you've got concerns and you've got doubts, that's okay. It's okay that if you're skeptical and a little cynical and maybe not quite sure of all this, we just want you to come and see and come and check it out. Now, some framework for this kind of understanding. So um, if we just want people to come and see and we want people to kind of hear the heart of Jesus and see the way of Jesus, well, what does that look like? Well, the first thing that we see over and over again when it comes to this message of Jesus is that it's supposed to be good news. And in fact, the very first kind of thing that's really told about Jesus, we just read it every year at Christmas, um, we hear the birth story, is these angels, they come out over these shepherds and what do they say? They say, I bring you good tidings of great joy for all the people. Now, tidings is just a fancy word for news. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the beginning story of Jesus is that this is supposed to be good news. That who Jesus is and what he's come to do and what he did not only here on earth through his ministry, but also what we believe through his death and resurrection is supposed to be good news. And so how does that relate when people come and see? Okay, well, here's what I want to start by saying. Did you know that you can communicate things without ever even speaking? Did you know that? They estimate, based on different studies, that around 30 to 40% of communication is nonverbal, all right? Which means we communicate constantly with people through our body language, right? Like some of you, I look at you right now, you don't know this, but the lights are up. Like, I can see you. You look bored. That's okay. We'll get through it, okay? Um, Some of you are kind of like, when I say things, you're like, I don't know if I believe that. That's okay. It's okay to be wrong, right? And so, I'm just kidding. And and so, like, we communicate through body language. Some of you, like, you can tell when people come in that they're here because their parents told them they had to come, or they promised them lunch, or they're dating a cute girl or cute boy, and they want them here. And so, that's okay. We'll take it. And so, um, but you communicate a lot through speaking and, and without even speaking. And, and so when people are willing to come and see, um, we have to understand that sometimes we're communicating stuff even without saying words. So when they come, they expect to hear a sermon. They expect that there's going to be worship. But one of the biggest things we communicate is through our nonverbal communication. So what does that look like? What does that even kind of mean? So let, let me tell you, um, everybody knows this, but we forget about it. There is nothing more intimidating than walking into a new place for the first time, especially a church, right? And every single person in this room, at one point, you walked into a place like this, or maybe specifically here for the first time. The only person that walked in and it wasn't their first time was me, and that's because I was here from the beginning, okay? Everybody else, you've walked into a place like this for the first time, and let's be honest, it was intimidating, wasn't it? In fact, I know people that have told me stories that they came to Journey two and three times and never got out of the car. Like they would just come and sit in the car and decide whether they were going to come in or not. And then eventually, because an invitation of a friend or whatever, they they came in. And so here's the thing. Um, We all know that's true because, see, when you walk into a new place, you wonder, what's it going to be like? Especially a church. Is it going to be like my last church? Is it going to be what I'm familiar with? Here's the big question. Am I going to be accepted? And am I going to be welcomed? Is it going to be confusing? And so what do we want people to see? We're inviting them to come and see. Well, if we communicate non-verbally, here's what we want people to see. We want people to see, we want them to see people who are willing to acknowledge they are here. And that they're glad they're here, right? 
We, we were on uh, the boat yesterday at the lake, and it was interesting. So if you've ever been on like a, a lake um, here in Kentucky, what's interesting is everybody waves. Like when you're on a boat, like everybody waves, and everybody's nice and polite. Um, but what's fascinating is it's not that way on the dock, okay? <laughs> so when you're on the dock, like, these pe- like you, you'll walk past people. They won't even acknowledge you're there, right? But then all of a sudden, like, we get on the boat, so we got to be friendly, and we wave at people, even if we don't know them and all that. And, and so what happens sometimes is, like, these unspoken rules that when we're on the water, everybody's friendly. When we're in the parking lot trying to find parking spots because they're limited, or we're on the dock and everybody's trying to get out and do all this stuff, it, it, all games are off, right? All bets are off. Did you know that our communication with people doesn't start in here? It starts out there, and it starts in the lobby. And the way that we see them, and the way that they see us, are we smiling? Are we friendly? Are we glad they're here? Do we shake somebody's hand and say, nice to meet you? You weird people, do we give them hugs, right? <laughs> do they see kids having fun? Do, do they see themselves here? That's a big deal. Do you see yourself here? Not just on the stage, but when you look around, Right? Do you see people who are willing to move seats, especially in the, you know, the 10 o'clock and sometimes the 1115 service? Thursday, we have a Thursday service. There's plenty of room. You could sit wherever you want. You could set and move seats during the service. It doesn't matter, all right? Um, but here's the thing. I mean, when it's full, do they see people that are willing to move seats so that they can sit down with their family and their friends? Do they see people who are willing to help them find the bathroom or communion or, or something like that? Here's a big one. Do they find open parking spots? Because all of you all want to park right there. We have a whole city we can park in, all right? A whole city, all right? And we all want to park right there. But th- those are nonverbal ways of communication that may not feel welcome. And, and so we want them to, to feel welcome. We want them to see this because this is all, listen, these are unnecessary barriers that can stop somebody from coming and hearing and seeing the good news of Jesus. All right, so what do we actually want them to hear? Not just what do we want them to see, what do we want them to hear? Well, from my perspective, we want them to always hear good news. Now, good news doesn't mean it won't be difficult to hear, all right? Sometimes there's news that's difficult to hear that you need to hear. But at the end of the day, we still want it to be good news, all right? And and here's the thing. See, we believe, honestly, we really do, that God hasn't given up on you and he hasn't given up on us. We believe that nobody is too far gone, and we believe that you have value and you have worth. And if you believe that that God couldn't love you or accept you, okay, if you believe that, then you've been given a bad version of the good news. Because again, the message is this is good news for all people. There's this great line in one of the stories of Jesus that that I love, and um, he's talking to this woman. And this woman has like a really kind of sketchy past. And some of us all have sketchy past. We all have sketchy past, let's be honest. And, and so there's this point in the story where he, she says to these people, she says, he told me everything I ever did. Now, I just want you to stop for a second. And I just want you to think about everything that you've ever done. All right. We are not good people. Me, you, none of us. We've all done some messed up stuff, haven't we? And yet God still loved her and loved you. And God still accepted her and accepted you. And isn't that amazing? That's good news. 
There's this famous quote, and it's quoted, attributed to different people, but I love this quote when it comes to Christianity. It, it says, all, all Christianity is, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That we're all in need of this hope and this grace and this mercy. So we believe here, it's not about the steps you've taken, but about the next one you take. We also believe that while life is hard and painful at times, that the promise that God gives us is he'll never leave us or forsake us. And that's good news. The other thing that we believe in here that we think is good news is the idea of hope. One of the things that I've discovered in the last 20 years of doing this is, is I really do believe, um, outside of love and, and pure love, that hope is one of the most powerful forces on the earth. And the reason I believe this is because as long as there's a little bit of hope, and as long as people can be inspired with a little bit of hope, they can take that next step. They can take that next breath. As long as there's hope, we can keep moving forward. But there's a lot of people that they've run out of hope. And they've been burnt. And they've been hurt. And so what we want to do is make sure that they hear the message that there's always hope. As long as there's breath in your lungs and your heart is beating, there's still hope. See, one of the things I want to let you in on, and, and I'm sure you know this because this might be your story, is every single week, either at this place or other churches, but we can only talk about this place, um, there's a family that's going to show up about 15 minutes early because only visitors show up early. The rest of you just show up whenever you want. And so uh, 15 minutes early, a visitor is going to show up, and they're going to be dragging in their middle school or high school kid. Bad attitude and everything. And they're just hoping that this is a place where their kids can connect and find community. Or there's a woman that's going to show up and she's been begging her husband to come for weeks and months and maybe even years. And finally he agrees one time, one week that he's going to come. All right? Or there's a kid that's going to show up and the odds are stacked against them and home is not going well. They don't have a good father or mother figure in their life. And so their grandma or cousin or a neighbor or, or maybe their parents just dropped them off and left. We'll take them too. And, and so they've been dropped off and, and all they're looking for is a little bit of hope. Or there's a couple and there's some of us in this room that, that listen, it's a bad season in your family. It's a bad season in your marriage. And you're just looking for some hope. Or you got a diagnosis recently and it wasn't a good one. Or, or, or maybe there's someone in this room week after week that you just show up and life has just beat you down. And all you're looking for is just a glimmer of hope. We believe that that's possible through Jesus. And this invitation to just come and see. And so we want people to see hope. We want people to hear about hope, and we want them to experience it. And, and let me make it a little bit more personal. Um, so it, what if it was your daughter or your son or your nephew or your niece or your friend that you invited for the first time? What do you want them to experience? Now, one more thing. Um, with this come and see invitation, and again, everything we talk about today, we're going to talk about in more detail later. Um, but one of the things I want to remind people of, if we're going to have this come and see attitude that Jesus had, is it's one thing when it's the fishermen and it's the people that come along that are just looking for something, and they're kind of good people and they have good reputations, and so we invite them into our church. But but here's the question that, that Jesus had to answer that his disciples really wrestled with is it's one thing when it's just like a fisherman or something like that but what happens when the come and see person is a tax collector or a prostitute or a thief or an outcast what do you do then see every week people are going to show up that have hurt themselves and have hurt others 
And from every outside perspective, they're a lost cause. Or maybe they're a person that, that you see and you're like, man, we know their reputation in the community or their reputation at work or their reputation at school or we know what they've done or what they've been accused of doing. And, and so here's the question. What level of lostness are we comfortable with? What level of brokenness are we comfortable with? How broken and messy can people be and still come and see? Like if we were to say like a scale of one to 10, like most of us would be like, you know what, like a two or three is pretty good, you know? But see what we see from Jesus is this come and see approach is that Jesus went to the houses of people that everybody else was uncomfortable with, including his disciples at times. Jesus talked with the people everybody was uncomfortable with. Jesus embraced and touched the people that everyone else was uncomfortable with. And his disciples sometimes kind of stood back and didn't know what to do. But remember, Jesus looks at them early on and says, what are you looking for? Because this is what I'm about. Jesus wanted to go to those places and engage those people because he came to seek and to save those that were lost. And it's not just us. It's everyone. It's good news for all people. So <clears throat> here's the big ask for this series, right? And this is the part you're not going to like, okay? So here's the question. Who do you know that needs some good news? Who do you know that needs some hope? Who do you know that needs the yoke of a teacher like Jesus who says that the weary and the burdened and the brokenhearted and the people in need of peace and the people in need of some hope and the people in need of some rest, bring them to me? Who do you know? Now, <clears throat> there's a study that came out right before COVID happened and the whole world went to crap, all right? So it was, in, it was in January of 2020. And this study came out by Barna. And Barna's this big research group in the church world and they partner with all these different schools and institutions, including the places like Harvard and all this stuff. And so they did this big study. And, and the question they asked was simply this, um, why don't people go to church? And so they reached out to about 10,000 people through this kind of survey system that they knew did not regularly attend a church. And so they started with a simple question, like, why don't you attend a church? Like, why don't you? And, and do you know the number one answer? Number one answer of why people did not attend church was simply because no one ever invited me. So then the follow-up question was, well, well, would you be willing to go to church if someone invited you? And eight out of 10 people in this survey said that if I had a family member or a friend who actually invited me to a church service, that they would attend. Now, I know that makes some of you really nervous because you know what I'm about to ask. <laughs> but remember, Jesus said, and they said to Jesus, where are you going? And he said, come and see if you want to be my disciple. See, I think God cares more about your availability than your ability. And sometimes all it takes is for you to know someone that's searching and seeking for something and to invite them. Here's how the rest of the story ends. 
So in, in John 1.43, so we had this kind of encounter where these disciples look at Jesus. And so the next day in verse 43, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, come follow me. So he's getting a little more bold, and so Philip says, and so Philip was, Bethsaida, was from Bethsaida and Andrew and Peter's hometown. And, and so simply, it's just the idea of like, do you want to come and see? Just like, come and follow me. Come and check this thing out. And so Philip gets really excited about it because hopefully you're really excited about your faith, and, and you're excited about what God's doing in your life, so you want to tell other people is the way this is supposed to go. And, and so in verse 45, Philip went look, to look for Nathaniel and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. Now, a little context here, okay? This is the big deal. Like that somebody would say, like, Moses is like giant in the faith of these men and women. And for them to say, we have found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. All of that studying you did. Remember when we were 10, 12 years old and we had to memorize those five books of the Bible and we thought it was miserable? Like, do you remember all those things we memorized? We have found the person that all of that was about. And his name is Jesus. The son. I mean, this is like them saying, we have found the key to life. And listen to verse 46. <laughs> Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? We found the best news ever, but he's from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And maybe some people's approach is this. Can anything good come from church? I see, I've been to church before. Can anything good come from that? And I've been into religion before. Can anything good come from that? And, and maybe, you know, what we've heard about that, that journey church, right? You know, all about Shepherdsville, right? We've heard about them, right? Can anything good come from that? And I love Philip's response. Maybe this is all it needs. He says this. Just come and see for yourself. Just come and see for yourself. You've got answers or questions. You're looking for hope. You're looking for peace. We found someone. We found someone with a yoke of love and grace and mercy and acceptance. And that's what we want people to see and to hear and experience when they come and see. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the peace that you've brought into my life, the hope that you've brought into my life. And God, I know for a fact that I know people who need that same hope and that peace and I know that everybody in this room knows people like that, people searching and seeking. They're looking for a good shepherd. They're looking for a prince of peace. They're looking for someone that's going to help guide them and teach them and lead them. We, we all know, maybe it's in our family, we know people who are wrestling and hurting and burdened. And God, there's this great news that was given all of these years ago for all people, for the whole world, for all of mankind. And it's this good news about this great thing that happened through Jesus and not only who he was and the way he teaches us the new way to be human but the way he teaches us how to relate to you and how you relate to us and the hope that we have not only in this life but also in what is to come and God it's good news and it's supposed to be so we came and we saw and so God we know that there's people that have that same desire to come and to see something good so God give us the boldness maybe to invite them 
maybe for a person in here that's still figuring this thing out, give them the boldness to continue to come, to know that they belong here even before they believe everything. And God, in all of this, may we only continue to see the good news of your grace, mercy, and love in all of our lives. So we love you and we thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.